Today is Sunday, October 29th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman. Episode 543 features former ESPN fantasy writer and diehard Seas fan, Seth Landman. And I'm Evan yeah, baby. Today's show is powered by FanDuel. Go to FanDuel.com slash Boston. New customers can bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed. What's up, everyone? Welcome in to edition of Celtics Beat. Great to have you here with us. Adam Kaufman, Evan Valenti is back, and Seth Landman's here, of course, uh, via the group chat, but also a good friend of this program. And I, I wanted to have him on for this specific show for uh, very particular reasons, but we'll get to those in, in just a moment. Uh, first, uh, just a, a few things that I'd like to say. For one, if you missed any of the last show that I did, it feels like an eternity ago, so I apologize if you are a diehard listener of this show. And actually, I'd like to thank anyone out there that is. We always tell you a little too late in the show. Maybe you've tuned out by then, but do check out the podcast, rate, review, most importantly, subscribe, all that good stuff. Celtics Beat is available wherever you get your podcast, be it Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora, you name it. Obviously, the CLNS Media YouTube page, if you prefer looking at us while we ramble on as opposed to just listening to us while you're out like Evan walking a dog and listening to your podcast and doing whatever it is that you do but I do want to thank those of you out there I've seen some people on social media here very recently uh with you know I don't know why this ever circulates but it does every so often you know kind of beginning of a new season midway through a year right around playoffs that type of thing it happens a few times a year where someone will randomly tweet out hey what are your favorite Celtics podcasts and Fortunately, you know, I, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm, I'm astounded that occasionally, you know, we will get, uh, you know, added at, you will, if you will, on, on Twitter or X, whatever the kids call it. Now people will respond and they will mention me, mention Ev, mention Celtics beat. And, uh, I, I'm honestly, uh, I, I'm, I'm always surprised that anyone listens to this show. So it's, so it's, 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 it's wonderful. Truly like it, it, it means so much to me that, uh, that anyone would include us in that conversation as being your Celtics, you know, go to podcast. So thank you for that. And, uh, if you are one of the people out there that did mention us, just know, and you know, cause you're obviously listening, you're our favorite listener. So, yeah. uh, you know, wow. thank you. Thank you for that. I know it's, it's not it's like deep. there's like a lot of them out there either. You know what I mean? It's not like it's it's a pretty. It's, it's not a lot of Celtics <laughs> podcasts in the space. It's, it's no, it's 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 not at all an incredibly oversaturated space. Well, that I was mean, really our, that was heartwarming. He has like nine of them. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we do love our fans. So I, I I love interacting with people in the comment section as much as anybody. It's it's uh, it's part of like. One of my favorite things well, about the show. Let's, let's curb the word fans. Like I, I'm not sure I'm anyone fans. I don't care if you hate on us the entire time. I don't I'm not care. sure anyone is a fan of mine. We have listeners and I or viewers, and I I appreciate that again greatly. Uh, I I also wanted to just to you know continually scratch a couple of itches here. I wanted to mention that if you missed any of the last show that I did, like I said, it feels like a long time ago. I guess it kind of was. Uh, Drew Carter joined me. He is the new television voice of the Celtics. He is the the uh, successor to Mike Gorman. He is certainly not replacing him. No one can, but he is the successor to Mike Gorman. He will be doing road games this year, which means depending on when you are listening to the show, today is Sunday as we record, but if you're listening to this on your drive to work Monday morning, well, uh, 
one, high from the past, and two, he is doing tonight's game. It is the first uh, road game of the year that is not opening night, so Drew will be on the call. Mike Gorman naturally did opening night in New York, as you would expect, but Drew will be on the call tonight, so look forward to checking him out with Scal, and uh, obviously he did games during the preseason, but if you've not had the opportunity yet, uh, just really enjoyed getting to know him a little bit. We talked a ton before the show, after the show, obviously during for about an hour about his road to joining the Celtics broadcast, and I mean, a, a 26-year-old kid living a lot of people's dream jobs. It's just a a pretty incredible thing and a, a really, I, I can say, genuinely, just a good guy. And so, uh, I, you know, obviously, uh, you'll be watching anyway, I assume. And so, uh, enjoy the broadcast. But let's get to this here, which is the Celtics are sitting at, uh, well, 2-0, which basically means that uh, as of right now, Boston, Orlando, Indiana, Dallas, New Orleans, they're all equal. They're all 2-0. Yeah. We will, we, the only one we will omit is the Denver Nuggets, the defending champs, because with their win earlier tonight, they, an absolute throttling, I should mention, over Oklahoma City. handing On the road. Yeah, hand, handing OKC their first loss of the year, or its first loss. Uh, now 3-0, the Denver Nuggets. And that just continues to be an absolute monster. And I know uh, Seth here, that's that's his his Western conference team. He's almost as big, probably a Nuggets fan as he is a Celtics fan. So we can talk about both those teams a little bit here, but guys, I I want to with just to start us off here and, and we'll save like the, the thesis for a little bit later. This is just sort of the, the cliff notes notes to the cliffs notes, right? There's an S there. Cliffs notes. I think cliffs Cliffs notes. notes. Isn't it, isn't it cliffs notes? No S there, buddy. I think there is. Google it. I'm not kidding. I'm not saying it like belongs to some dude Cliff. I think the term is Cliff's Notes. Seriously. It's not like Ruth's Steakhouse, but I think it's I, I think it's Cliff's Notes. Is it not? Let's look it up. Somebody look it up while I'm it's rambling Cliff's, on. It's, it is Cliff's Notes. There's an S. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm actually shocked by this. I thought I was wrong as I was saying it. <laughs> See, well, now we're, we're we really crushed this one. Yeah, we're educating our listeners at the same time. So don't go sounding like an a hole saying cliff notes when you're talking to people because, well, one, they'll think you're right, but two, you'll be wrong. All right, what I what I where I was going with this for Christ's sake is that my main takeaway from these two games, and I want each of yours as well, and then we'll dive deeper. But my main takeaway so far, the thing that I am most happy with we can get to what's upset us or whatever too but to start on a high note because they're two and oh the thing that pleases me most is that this team while new a new collection of of people obviously a, a new core outside of the jays largely they have still really battled through some early adversity here and not crumbled not only not crumbled but found a way while blowing leads big leads coming back from deficits late in games and closing strong. And that obviously, Seth, is the mark of a championship team. Doesn't mean Boston's going to win this year. Hopefully that does happen. But that is a characteristic that you look for. And the fact that that is happening already with a team that just got together and it's happened in both games. Either one was a blowout. It happened in both games. That to me is really reassuring. Yeah, I mean, you have to... They didn't, it was like sort of a common refrain to talk about how this team struggled to win games when they didn't make threes last year. And they've won the first two games of the season this year, even though the other team shot a higher percentage on threes in both cases. So 
hard not to be pleased with that. It's true. I mean, they've, yeah, they've, uh, there were moments where things weren't going well. A lot of those moments were self-inflicted, I think. And, and I'm sure we'll get into that. Um, but yeah, they came through, um, in crunch time in both instances. And that's, that's been a pretty clear weakness for a while. So hard to, hard to not be pleased with that. That's mine. But what's, what's one for you? What's, you know, stood a out positive, positive from these first two games. Uh, I think I, for a positive, I'd like to focus on Derek White. I think, um, I just, uh, his, um, his play at point guard, I think he more than anyone, I, they're struggling to move the ball a bit this year and, and we'll definitely get into that. I think he's one of the things that really gets them moving and gets them into good places. I also think what he's doing on defense right now is some of these, I mean, the spectacular plays go without saying you can watch these chase down blocks, like, you can count on one hand the number of guys in the league who are capable of some of these plays. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just his general, I like IQ on the court and his ability to stay in front of people on defense and just make the right play over and over again, coupled with his quick decision making. I, I just feel like this team is so lucky they traded for him and that I feel totally comfortable with him being the point guard moving forward. Yeah. I I I feel like I should just offer to to get it out of the way the the mea culpa and and I'll I will credit Seth and part of the reason that you're here so early in the season as well. Uh, I said on this show a number of times that I did not believe that after the acquisition of Drew Holiday that Derek White was going to be starting. Didn't mean he was never going to start, but I figured he would come off the bench more than not, and that Al was going to be part of the starting five. I never even considered Drew Holiday coming off the bench being the sixth man. Could happen at some point, but it was always, to me, either Al or Derek, and I just thought they would be inclined to go bigger, and it was going to be Derek White coming off the bench. And to this point, through two games, and the preseason for that matter, flat out wrong. Did not have it. I was, you know, no chance. And uh, you you from the get-go, Seth, have been advocating not just advocating but strongly believing that white would remain in the starting lineup so uh one hats off to you on that and uh two ev what uh what's what's your positive well it's hard not to be impressed with just the overall balance of in the firepower of this starting five um i mean they've they've had a you know a jason tatum night they've had a chris Epps Porzingis night they've had a Derek white night they've had a jalen brown night i mean they've They've really done a. Uh, they're just they're so top heavy. And they're, it's just it's overwhelming to a lot of teams. I mean that's, you know Miami and in New York both played really well. Um, you know I, I thought New York got a great contribution from their bench and like Brunson and 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 uh, and, and Julius Randle were awful in that game and and Boston needed every bit of the thirty that Chris Tapps gave him the thirty four that Tatum gave him and then you can move on and now it's Derek White and Jalen Brown. It's like geez, this is just a wealth of. Hmm offensive of talent you know and you look at and it's going to be one of these things I think all season long and again one of the big reasons why we have Seth on the show is because he can speak uh I think just to how awesome Denver is not too many teams can throw out a lineup like that and I think Boston clearly has Denver on the brain a little bit in terms of we need to match their firepower and so far their firepower is is really 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 impressive I've I you know, I, I, there are so many other little things too, like the Drew Holiday defensive experience has just been literally wonderful. I just love watching him play defense, and he has like clearly, you know, ways to go in terms of getting more comfortable with this team. But this, uh, this, the 
the amount of bodies in this team and their bench hasn't played well yet. Like they just haven't got it. They haven't had a terrific shooting night from three point range yet. They haven't had a really, a, a, a lot of bench contributors yet to their scoring output, but like, dang, this team can really, really play offense with it. pretty much every team in the league. And it's going to be okay. Let's build off Porzingis as a kind of a jumping off point with that, because he is again, two game sample size, but he had statistically speaking, at least in the points category, he had the best debut of anyone in Celtics history. No one had ever scored 30 points in his first game as a member of the Celtics. And as Ev said, sees needed every last one of them, including that huge, huge three-pointer, obviously, in the final moments of that game to really cement the win. Through these two games, he's played 34 minutes per. He's averaging about 24 points, uh, eight and a half rebounds. He's getting a couple steals, blocking about three shots, uh, as significant as anything, obviously, outside of protecting the rim and playing very solid defense and, and the fluidity of the offense that that can move around him and what he can do in terms of spacing and all of that. He's shooting about 50, uh, 52% from the field, 47% from three, 86% from the free throw line. I know we're talking about two games, but obviously the lines that I have read off, very, very strong to start. And part of the reason, Seth, that you are here is that you are someone who, at the time of the acquisition, were not overly enthusiastic about it. And it wasn't even just the, oh, I don't want to get rid of Marcus Smart. I love Marcus. All of that, like like a lot of fans felt, didn't want to see Smart go. It was the, I don't like this ad. I don't, like if you're going to trade Smart, you're going to trade Smart. I don't specifically like acquiring Chris Daps Porzingis. So now that you've seen him for a couple of games, real games, never mind the preseason, who cares about that? Real games. What have you thought? Uh, so on the positive side, they des- this team desperately needs people who catch the ball and immediately do something with it. Um, and I think he's be- he's had a lot of success. Like um, his ability to stretch the floor beyond the three point line. I think the big shot down the stretch against New York that you mentioned is a really good example of this. He's positioned a couple feet beyond the three point line on that one. He catches the ball and it's, it goes up immediately. There's no, um, there's no like hemming and hawing about like whether it's a good shot. He doesn't wait for the closeout. He knows his job is to like catch the ball and shoot the open shot. And while I'd like everybody on the team to be making really quick decisions around like passing and moving the ball, I think that, you know, when in trading in the, in the, um, in, in getting rid of guys like smart, Grant Williams and even Rob to a certain degree um, and adding Drew and Kristaps, you're adding like you've gotten rid of three, like what I would consider to be plus passers and added like a decent passer for a guard, but not, I don't think Drew is like above average as a passer for a guard. And I would say Kristaps is actually kind of a negative as a passer. And so I, I like, I've been worried about the collective passing of the team but I think I did underrate a little bit his ability, like just this, like the stretching the floor just adds like a, a quick decision that can be made. Um, they can just like chuck it out to him and he's ready to jack it up and nobody can bother his shot. So that's been really good. The other thing that's sort of, you know, I thought that if he was healthy, he would do a good job protecting the rim. I think we've seen that as in his career. I think when he struggled in that role in Dallas, he was often hurt. Um, so I think he's like he's really good protecting the rim. It has been interesting in the early going this year how 
um, the, the game again that he had against Bam out of Bible, where Bam kind of was able to do whatever he wanted on offense against Porzingis, and they really kind of won the game down the stretch with Horford coming in for Porzingis. I thought that sort of began to expose some of the weakness. Like while he's a great rim protector, he does he brings weaknesses that this team has traditionally avoided. The Celtics have really tried to avoid having any of those weaknesses. So they're having some problems with defensive rebounding. Now they're having some problem. They're still not forcing turnovers. Some of those things I think are things we'll need to keep an eye on as the season goes on, as they learn how to play defense around this different type of player. It's safe to say you've enjoyed the KP experience though. Oh yeah. I, I mean, you know, the the offensive spacing you get with a guy that can really knock down threes at that kind of clip from that kind of range is just going to be hilarious to watch. I mean, I've I did the did a little mini lap of a victory lap after the first game when the last couple of minutes of the game boiled down to Tatum KP two man game, and I'm like, this is what I've been trying to tell people for a while. Like, I think Porzingis is brought in to be a little bit more helpful in the crunch time offense at the end of games, like instead of it being Jalen and Jason, you know, the the KP adds a way different wrinkle to this. And I think Jalen, you know, if you go back to that game winning shot, basically that Chris Stapps hit, like he's wide open in the corner. He's one pass away if, if we need to go that far. Uh, but at the same time, like Porzingis is seven foot four and he's probably going to shoot over a guy that's much smaller than him. If he's going to try and take that closeout and he's a good enough shooter to where like, that's just a really devastating play. Uh, and so how they play off of that as the season progresses is going to be interesting to me. And I think it's just going to be devastating for a lot of teams to handle. Now Miami is uniquely equipped maybe to handle something like that with the way Bam can guard in space. Um, but not too many teams are going to be able to handle that, that particular pick and roll or pick and pop option. So, um, the KP experience, the blocks, the defense interior, like that, that's been a big plus to me. I didn't expect them to be that dumb. And, and to make their defense look way different. Like the Red, the Celtics lead the league in blocks per game with 8.5, which is pretty outrageous. Considering like I know it's two games, but still it's without Rob Williams. Yeah, without Rob, they they they're allowing like the least amount of points per game inside the paint so far this year. Like that's and then they have never mind that, they have two unbelievable defensive guards and Tatum's a plus plus defender in my opinion. So they really have like just a really interesting core of guys defensively if 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 Chris Nats is going to hold up inside the way he has in that one game against the Knicks like that's going to be really really interesting because I didn't I, I, I maybe I sold this team short defensively is all I'll say like I, we all we laud Derek White and Drew Holiday for a very good reason but if Chris Nats is going to hold up inside like that that's a whole different wrinkle that this team defensively hasn't had just because Rob has never really been healthy and we only saw Rob unlocked that year as like a rover. This is a little bit different than that. So I'm I'm really curious to see how that progresses. Guys, I, I keep saying this. I feel like I have to keep saying it, which is it's a two-game sample size. You know, that, that cannot be obviously understated, uh, you know, or it's it's – it's a very important footnote to the successes the team has had. So again, totally. the fact that it's a two game sample size, I want you to remove the results, meaning the the win loss, like forget their two and oh, and just look at the games and how they've been played the, you know, ruts that they have experienced kind of in those third, early fourth quarters. And obviously finishing these games out strong as they have with, 
you know, I think as so long as they're healthy and they get another clean sheet for this Monday game in, in Washington, it's, you know, as long as obviously this team can remain unscathed and, and generally unaffected, and not load managing, they're as good one through six as anybody else in the league. A little bit of depth issues after that, and we can talk about that. But one through six, they're as good as anybody. That being said, have you felt in watching beyond your own personal biases? Have you felt in watching that they have missed Marcus Smart at all? I really have actually. So I'll point to uh, the, I think the main thing I would point to with this team is that what has ailed them in big playoff games for the past two seasons is half court offense. And despite everything Evan said, that's totally true about the Tatum Porzingis two man game. This team gets bogged down in the mud. They just like, what happens when you lose, when you decrease your overall level of collective passing is that guys stand around wondering what to do with the ball and, and try to attack, you know, early in the Miami game, Jalen tried to attack Bam out of bio off the dribble a few times and it really kept not going well. And it was later in the game when they started getting the ball moving side to side more you see what happens when Jalen attacks when there's any advantage already it's it's over he gets a bucket um but when he tries to attack one-on-one against a great defender or even worse tries to drive into the teeth of the defense it it it, it isn't the same way it, it, it he won't have the same success rate and so i you know I, i'm obsessed with this passing thing and so t- tonight before i came on i decided to look up like I was like, am I right about this? How many pa- are, like how many passes are they throwing? Like just and they're last in the league in passes per game. And and 40 passes that 45 passes per game down from last season. And so I do think there's um you know, these are regular season games. They're pulling out wins. They're the obviously like when this team is healthy, as you just said, Adam, the talent level is so high that it might not matter. But they're not going to they they really are not going to win in the playoffs the way they're playing offense right now. Um, and so the question is, can they capture like what they found like more in the second half against Miami um, offensively and can they get the ball moving? And so when I when I think about them missing Marcus Smart, I just think kind of like Derek White, he was another guy. I know people complained about the shooting and stuff, but he was a really good passer and when nothing was going on, he'd like go down in the post and try to post up and get get something that way. Or he'd just shoot the open shot that was there and not like one not like be like wondering about it. And so I think that stuff really matters, just quick decisions. And I, I think it's a weakness for this team right now. Can I push back on that though? Because I feel like sure. what are the things that people talked about in terms of like what are they gonna miss Marcus Smart the most for? Well, you know, his leadership in the locker room, his heart on the team and you know, yeah, passing has been, I think, the only thing I would say in terms of what did they miss about Marcus Smart is that. I don't think this team has had any problem getting any passion from anywhere. It seems like to me, I mean, Derek White was fired up the other night. And I oh, was, yeah, no, I don't even care about the passion. Yeah, but, th- but that's the stuff that people talked about. Though This team might slip defensively because they don't have Marcus Smart here. There. I don't think that's been a really big issue so far yeah. at all. Drew Holiday, again, watching Drew Holiday, Stonewall, uh, Julius Randle, uh, all game was the most fun the guy had in a long time. It was hysterical. They don't, you know, his leadership. Yeah, Marcus was a great leader. I'm not saying he wasn't, but, you know, it seems like to me that Jalen and Jason 
have stepped up a little bit in terms of, you know, communicating internally. And this team seems to be really focused right now. So I don't think that's been a problem. Like totally the, the intangible things about Marcus Smart that you thought you would miss. I don't think they miss the, the passing stuff. Yeah, sure. And I think that's going to take some time. I think, you know, getting Drew Holiday a little more integrated in this team is going to make a big difference. I think figuring out what their bench rotation is going to be is going to make a big difference for this team. But in terms outside of that one aspect, they haven't missed Marcus Smart at all. I, I think they've actually been a little bit more fine-tuned than I expected considering how big of a t- part of the team he was. And I, I think they've carried on pretty well with him on a different team. I mean, I agree 100% with everything you just said. I don't think they miss. I, I, first of all, I didn't really think they would miss those. Th- like when I was worried about losing Marcus Smart, it was it, it was like 95% about the fact that they were bringing in someone who I think is a bad passer and getting rid of someone who's a good passer. It like, and I, but I do. So I don't like, yeah, I think this team is going to be fine in terms of like leadership and like energy and things like that. I am literally just worried about ball movement. And I think, I don't know. I, I I'm, it's like the one piece with this team where I'm not just like, Oh, like defensive rebounding. I think they're going to figure out as the season goes along, like the defense, the stuff with like, learning how to play this uh, a more drop style and being in rotation more and figuring out how to rebound around that. Um, that stuff's going to be fine as the season goes on. But I, the, the ball movement thing with this team, it's just, I, I feel like I've been complaining about this for years now, specifically in tight games. It's, that's like when it happens in tight games against good teams, this team tends to slow down. I'm really encouraged by what I saw down the stretch against Miami. I think they like, I think they found some stuff they needed to find. I I do wonder what happens if Porzingis doesn't foul out and they don't go to Horford down the stretch. Um, I I think there's some matchups where Porzingis is a little vulnerable. But yeah, what you said about Marcus, I totally agree. Like I value all that stuff, the the intangibles, but I don't think those are the things they'll miss about him at all. Well, obviously the personnel is not going to change, you know, bar- barring something weird happening mid-season. But this, I mean, this is your core, and it, I don't think anybody's complaining about that. I bring that up just to say, in terms of correcting the things you would like to see corrected, how does it change? How does it evolve? You think it's a it, this is an ongoing question for years with the Jays. I think is, um, and I I've said this on the podcast before, and. Um, so I don't fully blame them for it. Even I think when you're a great player in the NBA and it's a tight game against a good team, especially when the stakes are high in the playoffs, your instinct is to to try to fix it, right? Like they're what they want to do is take control because that's how they've had success in the past. Um, and they want to make plays happen and for their teammates. Like, I don't think they're selfish players. I don't think any of that. I just think it's their instinct to try to fix it themselves. And I think in basketball, I think if anyone's going to, if you're going to take a lesson from the Nuggets winning the championship, it's, it's that your best, like when Jokic has a problem, when things are difficult on offense for the Nuggets, he immediately looks for a teammate. How can I get into a two man game with a teammate? How can I like, uh, how do I go screen for this guy so that he gets an open look? Like, what can I do to just make something easy happen and like loosen up the court? And it, it, that's what moving the ball does. And I think the Celtics instinct is to like kind of get tight and like figure out how they can make it happen on their own. The second they get away from that, 
they will have this team will the offense will flow like it was flowing in the preseason or like it was flowing at the first couple months of last season. They have it in them. I just I don't I'll like it'll it'll happen when it happens. I don't know. I I think this team is going to take some some time to get to know each other and I think the fact they're two already especially against two playoff teams. They're playing they've like these are great wins. I just I don't know. I mean, we, I, I, I'm just still seeing the offense get bogged down in the same old ways. They're able, they're so talented that they're going to beat a ton of teams anyway. But I'm, I guess like with this team, I think you both would agree that the fish this team has to fry comes in, comes like later, you know, it's in the playoffs, like these regular season, they're going to win like 50 something games and be a high seed. We, we already know where this is going. Um, and so I'm, I'm just like looking for like, what, you know, what are the, Missoula talked a lot, uh, before the season started about this team, like needing a curveball kind of mm-hmm. what, what, you know, uh, isolation basketball is not, that's not the curveball. Yeah. So like, and, 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 and we talked about a pre-show that there's their isolation numbers coffin. They have the, the most unassisted two point makes in the league at 70% of their two point makes are unassisted. It's, <laughs> it's a staggering number. Like that's, that's not great. Uh, no, it, it's, not just two, not just two. So last year they, I, I looked this up last year, they were fifth in the league, 70.3 points per game off assists right now. Th- again, Kaufman, I know two games, small sample size, 28th in the league, 51 points off assists. So it's like, it's almost 20 fewer points per game off assists. Bucks, the Bucks are below them, aren't they? Yeah, but the Bucks want to play like the Bucks have Dame Lillard. They, they like want to play ISO ball, right? Like. Um, I'm just pointing gonna... out the Bucks are worse than they are, and I think like the Hornets are dead last, maybe. Something. Yeah, no, I mean, and OKC is going to be like low on that list too, even though they've been like relative. I mean, they lost to Denver today, but they've been relatively successful offensively. But I would argue that Shea Gilgis Alexander is a better isolate, purely isolation scorer than anyone the Celtics have. Um, so I don't know. I think I just think that when the Celtics offense sings, it's because the ball is moving. Um, and so that's just that's going to be the thing I'm just always looking for with this team. And I love that they can grind out wins with defense and like, yeah, and actually they they're probably going to be a much more efficient as the season goes on. Iso- isolation scoring team than they were last year, even like I do think holidays better at that than Marcus like they've. They've made upgrades in that area, but you know, the ball's got to move. Let me tell you guys something I care about. If I'm not mistaken, I'd have to double check the numbers. This team is one zero and one against the spread. Ev, Let's Ooh. Find, uh, our our fine sports book folks for making this show possible. Yeah, it's, we'll take a quick break. Tight today's show is powered by FanDuel. Snap into the action this NFL season and NBA season. With FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 bonus bets guaranteed. You place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets. Win or lose. And if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time. You get on the action. It's apps super easy to use. Wide range of betting options. Spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. We talked about this, boys, early on in the season. And they haven't moved. There's been a new front runner, I think, added to the group. But, you know, I think it's important that we have Seth on this particular uh, podcast to just, again, Nikola Jokic is plus 430 to win MVP. It's sitting right there for everybody. 
He's just the best player in the league, and he should have won it three years in a row. Should probably win it again. Um, he's amazing. I just I'm gonna keep hammering that pretty much every show because until it gets down to like a, a the 200 level plus 430 for that is incredible. Just jump on the opportunity while it's while it's good right now. That's all I'm gonna tell you. Um, but it's it's so far you know a lot of these cross sport uh ones that i like to do where you bet like the money line of a of a nba game money line of an nfl game try to try to you know double dip so to speak um i've been enjoying that if people want to you know partake with me on that so visit fanduel.com slash boston and kick off the nfl season and tip off the nba season fanduel the official partner of the nfl 21 plus and present in ma First line online real money wager only $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fiendle.com. Gambling helpline ma.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. So, Ev, you were just talking, obviously, about uh, Jokic and MVP potential. And, of course, if he's healthy, he should always just perennially be in that conversation. Also, another thing going back to, you know, whether or not it was a concern with smart leaving, passion, and all of that stuff. So, one thing that I've really enjoyed these first couple of games, and it's not new. We've seen it plenty. I just wonder if we will get to see it consistently throughout this year, this entire season. First couple games so far. We have seen a very passionate, aggressive MVP campaign incoming kind of year or start from Jason Tatum. He has just been a a man on a mission. Now, how much of that is individual accolades versus knowing fully, not like he didn't know it before, but this is his team. He's the guy. He's all NBA. People have him in the MVP conversation. Some people have him as the, you know, their their choice to win. He's not obviously the odds-on pick to win, but their choice to win. And this team has as high expectations as it has had, you know, probably since, you know, like really, truly the highest expectations for this team since like what? Gordon Hayward, Kyrie Irving arrived, uh, and and maybe the Brother. year after when when Hayward was presumed healthy at that point in time, and you know all the depth and talent they had on that eighteen nineteen team, but certainly of Tatum being the guy and Brown being the three hundred million dollar man, these guys at this point in time, this this we always talk about star players in the NBA and what their peak years look like. Now that these guys are basically entering those peak years and there's no questioning what they've been through, what they've accomplished in this league and what they still have in front of them. I feel like we're seeing a little something different in, in attitude, in just general demeanor on the floor from Tatum in particular, Seth, that I am, Oh, it just, it, it takes my breath away. I'm, I'm, I'm loving every second of it. My favorite little manifestation of this with him is that because I do think they've struggled a little bit with defensive rebounding for the first two games, but it, it's not like um, and a lot of that is, you know, Porzingis is protecting the rim. He goes for a block. You got to you know, it's like they got to build some habits of crashing the glass, like when the rim protector is out of the paint like that. Um, but Tatum has had a bunch of big rebounds where he's like come back in to crash. And I think. I think he's kind of the one on the team that takes that job the most seriously. 
that this team led the league in defensive rebounding rate last year. And I think he's the biggest reason why that was true. Then I just, I love that he like that he takes that so seriously um, and that he knows the value. Um, when you think about his career that he, he came in the league as a rookie. Obviously, he was like a flawed player as a rookie, as all rookies are. But we're it's like it's a cliche in the NBA that rookies don't help you win. But that wasn't true of him. He came in the league as a guy who um, made made small, subtle things happen on the basketball court that helped teams win. And I think he gets underrated a little bit sometimes as a superstar because like because you can point to other guys who are better isolation scorers or other guys who are better step back three shooters or other guys who like they're his game is, um is made up of all these subtleties and a total lack of weaknesses um that I think, yeah, I, I just love to see him doing the little stuff that wins games. It, it's it, when your superstar is doing that stuff, coming back to crash the defensive glass, whatever it is. Um, yeah, that's really exciting stuff for a team trying to win the title. The thing I think is interesting is the fact that like before this, they got Drew Holiday, I thought Tatum would lead the team in assists, and I should have been uh, a little bit different. Tatum's going to lead this team in rebounding, I think. Um, and that's like I said, said like that's a really important stat for a superstar. It's a really important stat for a guy on the wing too to lead this team in rebounding. It's clearly something he really cares about. You know, Cleet, every defensive possession is finished with a defensive rebound. I think he takes that really seriously. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, with given the ability of some of the other guys too, I think, I think they have the potential to be a really good rebounding team as we continue on here, but he's going to be a big reason why they are is because he cares. He cares a lot about that. And, you know, Porzingis, I think, Seth, you were a little worried about his rebounding numbers coming into the season if I was going to be, you know, so honest about it. Um, but I think J- Jalen and Jason can help make up for that, again, with this, you know, some of the scheming, the ways they can scheme around that. Um, but Tatum well, an absolute – Yeah, I mean, if player. to your point, if they're going to want Porzingis – like, you know, your center can't do everything. If you want your center to be trying to block shots at the rim, right. you, you're going to have to have wings come crash. I mean um, – I th- Porzingis has been fine with the rebounding. I think the team's getting used to learning how to play in rotation because they're what the thing with Porzingis is that it means you have to play this like different style of defense. They can't switch the same way, which means um, they're in rotation a little more, but yeah, I just think, you know, it's not just Tatum getting the rebounds. It's that it's having your best player make that kind of like selfless play um, that, that bleeds into everybody. Um, you know, it, I think it's a little bit related. Did, did it feel that you guys like O'Shea Brissett got? I, okay, I love what he did in the Miami game, but it felt like he was getting almost too much credit for the like the energy he brought. I'd and say, I, I think it's important that that Tatum acknowledged it, though. Like it was, it, like, it, it's great. But I I did find myself being like, man, Tatum like is he does this stuff all the time, and people act like he's a bum. Like <laughs> I don't know. Like people, comp- I feel like there isn't. The narrative around Tatum isn't that he's like a hard playing guy. And I think that's like kind of unfair. I think, um, yeah, I think he makes like tons of like really small, important plays that go unnoticed. Does this ball handle look better this year? Like, I don't know. He seems a little bit quicker with it. That Knicks game in particular, I keep going back and thinking about how he would get to the rim kind of yeah. against the Knicks when he wanted to. There was that one on the left side. 
I think he had Quentin Grimes on him, and he does that, like, spin away from Quentin Grimes and then comes back to the right hand against Robinson and just, like, laid it up, up and under on the other side. Robinson followed him for the end one. I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, woo! It got me, got me heated, got me excited. He had a couple of moves in that game where I'm like, man, he just looks a little quicker, a little more decisive trying to get to the basket. Like, it just seems like he's processing faster, and that's – going to be a huge part of of his maturity is just processing a game at a slightly quicker speed and if he can do that to get to the basket get to the free throw line sky's the limit for him i mean he really is he's a good enough shooter to, to bury anybody from anywhere but the fact that he can get to the line or get to the rim consistently is what makes him a superstar and if he can rack up fouls and and not turn, it, the problem is he has you know some turnovers in there that that aren't terrific but you know you're gonna have to balance that a little bit more but i think he's been you know, the shooting the other night against Miami wasn't tremendous, but I'm still just thrilled with a little bit more low post action. Again, getting to the rim a little bit more. Like, that stuff's been very, very encouraging to me. A couple other things I want to get to, guys, before we, uh, you know, get out of here. Don't keep people forever. But both fall under that ongoing two games theme. One, Jalen Brown, who we have not talked a lot about. So, in the spirit of uh, being sponsored by a sports book here, Ev, to me, the surest bet coming out of game one was when I saw Jalen Brown's over under for points at 19 and a half. That was an auto smash on the over. That was, that was, that was, there was no question in my mind. Jalen Brown was going for 20 plus in that second game of the year. Uh, I I'm not saying I, I foresaw 30 or whatever it was, but over 20, Absolutely. He had a a rough game one. He was going to bounce back offensively. They were going to make it a point to make sure he bounced back offensively. If if for no other reason than, I don't know, early season confidence. But I I saw some people, and I think this is overstating it. I saw some people, just social media or even talking heads, saying coming out of game one, it was, man, like Jalen Brown, he he looks like a guy who doesn't write, really know what his role on this team is. He doesn't really know what his his fit is with this newly formed group with Drew Holiday and Chris Stapps, Porzingis. And to Evan's point, end of the game, the two-man show with Porzingis and Tatum, not Brown being a part of that. What, did, what have you thought of what we've seen from Brown just, again, through two games? Yeah, I mean, I think... I think he did get lost a little bit offensively in game one. And I think it, I also think it affected his defense in that game. I think he was a little, you know, he's made strides in the last couple of years at being more and more like making better decisions off the ball as a defender. Um, I thought there was some like backsliding in that area in the next game. He was so locked in in game two though. And I think, I don't know. I, this is one of the areas where I do think you know, as the season goes on, he'll become a little more comfortable with like, they have more dominant ball handlers on the team than they did last year, which, and which maybe like means slightly fewer opportunities for him. But if he's, if he, if he thinks about that in the right way, it should just mean that he's able to attack one-on-one instead of having to drive into traffic. And even better, it should mean that he gets the ball on the second side and can attack a slight advantage in 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 that scenario, I really believe he's like one of the five best players in the league. Um, when like when he's going to the basket against an, a slight advantage, there there's very few people I'd rather have with the ball. And so, I'm hoping that like I, the Heat game was really encouraging because he got his points by like 
he was by not by forcing the issue, but by taking what the defense was giving him. And the more he does that, the more successful they're going to be. He's just so dominant as an off ball scorer. Yeah, I, I'm, it's, he's going to need the biggest adjustment, I think, of all of them. He's, it's going to take the, the longest time, the most adjustment for him to kind of figure out where he is because Porzingis can have an impact. I think a lot easier than Jalen can with his new crew. I mean, he's, he's a pick and pop shooter. Um, he has a huge size advantage down low if they ever want to do that. Um, Jalen, I think is going to have a hard time figuring out where he involves in the pecking order involves in the flow of the offense. Like I think Drew's easy, like just he'll figure it out. He's been around a long time. He's not one of those players that's really ball dominant. He's someone that can, he's more malleable. Derek White, the reason why we love Derek White on this mm-hmm. show in particular, we highlighted that he was the best plus minus guy on the team by like a mar- a huge margin because he's that type of guy. He's very malleable. He can, he just throw him in a situation. He'll figure it out. Jalen's going to have a hard time. And I, and I'm and like Seth, I'm very encouraged by game two. Um, but there's obviously a long way to go here, but it, he could be absolutely ridiculous this year. If he, if they use him the right way and they, and he attacks the right things so that it, it it should be really interesting to see what he how he progresses through the season. Um, but I think it's going to take some time. Small thing to look for with him that I'll just mention when he um, so attacking Bam is like the bad version of this. It's like they get the, they get the switch and it's, it's he doesn't have a mismatch and he tries to attack it anyway. But when he attack, if they can get him like in the paint against a smaller defender or even like anywhere near anywhere within twenty feet against a smaller defender, he's he's one of the best in the league at making those shots as well. Um, I just, yeah, I'm hoping as the year goes on that he gets a little more picky about, about when he attacks, like waiting for the right spot and like having the patience to get the ball against the right matchup. Yeah. It might be one the of those. only thing uh, that I, that I wanted to mention is again, we were talking about depth and not, I, I think we've done a good job of highlighting both positives and negatives. And one concern again, extremely early on is the eight man rotation is filled out by Sam Hauser and Peyton Pritchard. That's, you know, those are your eight when healthy. In addition to obviously the top six that are your primary guys beyond that Pritchard is going to have a role. We've talked a lot about that on this show and Hauser is, and should have a role He's going to, and should have a role. Uh, through two games, and I'll, I'll go a little easy on Pritchard because he hit a couple of massive free throws the other night to help them close that win. But these two guys, and Hauser especially, woof through through two games in, in terms of you know what you want from them coming in and 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 serving their minutes. I mean, it's you're not looking to either of them obviously to be defensive stalwarts. You're looking for them to come in, make buckets, and if they're not going to do that, and Hauser in particular. If they're not going to do that, they're not going to see the floor. That's just the bottom line. And again, two games. So I'm not getting bent out of shape over this. I don't want anyone listening or watching to think that I am. It's just sort of something I have in the back of my head. Because after those two guys, you don't have anyone else who can do what they can do. And if they aren't doing it, I'm talking about depth-wise, bench-wise. If they aren't doing it, and you run into a situation as every team does where there's injuries, load management, all that stuff as the year goes along. You need to know that guys like that are capable of stepping up. I, I guess the only, so yeah, I mean, they're going to have to make, they're going to have to hit shots. Um, 
But the one pushback I would make is that I think both of those guys are known around the league at this point. Like, even though Pritchard didn't play a lot last year, those guys both get guarded on the perimeter. And Mm -hmm. so I think, I think we might have to, there might be games where we have to like kind of keep an eye on the plus minus with those guys more than their individual stats. Because like the truth is if, if Hauser or Pritchard is out there, and it's just that the open shots are going to Derek White and Drew Holiday. Sure. Like, that ain't a bad thing at all. Um, Didn't Danny Ainge tell us plus minus is a bogus stat? <laughs> no, I'm like, and, and in one and in one and two game samples, it's an incredibly bogus stat. But I would just like, I don't know. I, I'm having the same thoughts about those guys need to make shots, but it, it is on my radar to make sure I'm paying attention to how close are defenders to those two guys. And is 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 the presence of Sam Hauser getting open looks for other guys while he's on the court. In which case, do I really care if Sam Hauser's the one making the shots or not? Like not really. Um, and I have a feeling the coaching staff is like looking at that stuff. Um, I, and I just think those guys get guarded like teams. They're in the scouting report. Like no, nobody's leaving Sam Hauser. So I don't know. Just something to think about. Sure. Yeah, you shoot over forty percent from three in a season. I think people are taking taking record. You know, they're paying attention. Yeah. I am curious to see because this is the one thing that I've, you know, uh, if I have not concerns, I'm just it's just I want to see how this this bench shakes out. You know, you know, Brissett comes in the other night and and gives him some good energy. I haven't seen Kada really at all yet. I'm really I'm kind of pro Kada. I'm a very big pro Kada guy. Um, I'm kind of hoping he gets some just a, an opportunity to, to to showcase a little bit in the regular season. Um, we haven't seen really we haven't seen too much of Svi. I haven't seen any of Lamar Stevens. Um, you know they. I thought it was I thought it was pretty interesting that Hauser was is pretty much locked in top eight. Like he hasn't wavered at all up from that spot. I think that was interesting to give it to him versus two other guys that have been in league a little bit longer than him. But that, I'm. You know, again, if he makes shots, then then you know the, the, that'll that'll bear out probably okay. But if he's not making shots, I know the other two guys on the team, and then especially with Lamar Stevens, Lamar Stevens can really guard. So I'm I'm just curious how the rest of this bench rotation shakes out because there's some some guys on the bench that can contribute in different ways, right? It just depends what the game needs, and I think yeah. that's going to be really interesting to see. You know what buttons Joe presses. Like again, I was thoroughly impressed that Peyton Pritchard came in. I thought it was a weird sub. But Richard came in at the end of that Knicks game and hit two ginormous free throws, cold off the bench like that. That was a really interesting substitution, him for, for Porzingis, a guy that shoots free throws well and is a huge target that you just throw him the basketball. You know, I know Pritchard was wide open when he caught it. Like that worked out, but I usually would want the seven foot four guy out there. I could just throw it up to just in case things didn't go right. Do you think they maybe don't? Is it possible they don't trust Porzingis's decision making in those moments? Just hold on to the ball, dude. You were nine. Just food for thought. Just food for thought. <laughs> Just hold the ball. He's not but sold yet, folks. It not was funny yet. though. If you watch, if you watch, because the, they they were they had the because they took the two timeouts in a row, so they came back from commercial break. So yes, they, yes. Let's get advance the ball on yeah. the side of the court. Like you can see, Pritchard's like just kind of jacked up and like jumping up and down. I'm like, why is like. Man, I, I love Pritchard's energy. Like he's just really, really jacked up for the end of this game, and you know he's just really giving his team a ton of support. I didn't know at the time he just had to go out there and be part of the five guys that were out there. I was like, oh, th- look at how great of a teammate Pritchard Pritchard's being. He's like just trying to rally the tr- rally the troops for the last couple seconds. 
<laughs> well, we got two more games before our next show. Those are, uh, again, depending on when you're listening. But if you're listening on Monday, tonight against Washington. So the C's back at it, 7 o'clock. And then uh, at home against Indiana, a 7.30 game on Wednesday. But four out of the next five are on the road. So this is a, a nice early season test for this team, obviously. Uh, Washington, Indiana, Brooklyn, Minnesota, Philadelphia. Uh, Philly maybe has James Harden in the lineup by that point. We'll see. But as far as... <laughs> I'm but more as... afraid of the Pacers than I am of the Sixers. I'll tell you that right now. Amen. In- considering the Pacers are awesome. <laughs> real quick before we do sign off, considering it's four out of five on the road, and obviously the opponents I just mentioned, what are, are you happy with three and two? No. Okay. Depends. I mean, listen, this team should be is going to be favored against everyone except the Nuggets. Uh, like, in 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 basic, you know, I mean, the the wear and tear, travel. Like, there's you know, there are trap games. I'm just acknowledging they're probably not going to win them all. It'd be great if they do, but four and one. All right, three and two is like I'm is fine. Four and one, I'm happy. Yeah, but it depends on you're the. Fat, um, you're you're well. content with three and two. I can accept three and two. Two and three, I'm like losing sleep and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> if if you had to predict it, who's the loss? It's not Washington. Oh, it, Indiana. Well, I didn't even know the rest of the games, and it and it's Indiana. Yeah. It's Washington, Indiana, Brooklyn, Minnesota, Philly. Yeah, Indiana. Tyrese yeah. Halliburton is the man. Yes. Kind exactly. That guy's going to be tough, but I don't, we'll see. It's I just think it's great that the Celtics have guys that play games and uh, some teams <laughs> are already resting guys. I think it's awesome. That the Celtics Wasn't it uh, like think it's Jimmy, great. Butler, Jimmy Butler sat out for rest for the home opener? Let's can we just like let's not tempt fate too much. We like we're rooting for a team that has Kristaps Porzingis on it now. Let, let, let's just be like polite and happy about what what's going on. Yeah, I mean, look at Phoenix, though. Beal hasn't played a game. Devin Booker's sitting out games. Booker was nuclear in game one and hasn't played since. It's like, man, this is – it's just – it's brutal. It sucks. But I thought the league said load management doesn't – it doesn't exist, I thought. Is is it possible – and I I don't really say this with any hyperbole. Is it possible – in the early goings of this year, the league has a bigger problem than it's ever had? It's – I mean, like, this is nuts. This, this has been crazy. the worst, the worst ever start for that kind of like stuff. They, they spent all this time and and put in all these new rules and guidelines and and manuscripts sent out to teams and and putting in the in game tournament later in the year, like all these incentives and everything to solve this load management problem. And again, we're a week in, but well, it's worse. It's you know worse. what they always said? What they always said about the dra- like anytime someone came up with a, like a fix for the lottery to prevent tanking. Yeah. The the criticism like was Aaron's wheel. That's well, the criticism was all this does is move the inf- the people like the wheel because this wasn't true. But the criticism always was it just moves the inflection point to a different place. Like for example, now you have teams like maybe maybe not like uh, tanking to get into ninth place, but tanking to get into like eleventh place or something. Whatever right. it is, is it possible? I mean, I think to your point. If you know you can't rest guys in certain national TV games and you know you can't rest guys in the in-season tournament games and you know there's probably like further penalties coming down the road and that yeah. maybe after the all-star game there's like more guys you're not allowed to rest. Is that why we're seeing like so many early season load management games? Yeah. 
I, I just love too that they're you know the league is making these teams come up with reasons right like they they, they there has to be a, a designation of some sort like like for they they didn't know what the how the hell to handle the James Harden situation because he wanted to play and the team said no nah, don't come on the trip we're good at some point we're gonna get like out general malaise <laughs> it's it's just gonna be the screenshot of Eric Bledsoe's I don't want to be here I want to be here yeah oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> oh unreal all right looking forward to celtics basketball by the way if you're looking it's non-celtics but if you're looking for another auto overplay in the gambling space early on in the year take the over on victor Wembanyama's turnover props i'm not kidding take the over every time uh five four and whatever he's got tonight i guarantee it's more than three so uh that keep right it's going to be juiced it probably goes up to three and a half doesn't matter keep riding the over until it doesn't hit <laughs> Prof, did you see, uh, to, to keep this just gambling related for one second, thanks to our sponsors over at FanDuel, the, this, we're going to go switch sports for just a second. A little Big Ten football. Did you see the over-under for Iowa Northwestern this week? It, wasn't it like 35? It's the lowest over-under in the history of college football. Yeah. It was, me a number? I, I think it was like 35 and a half, wasn't it? Seth, so you got a number? Is this football you're talking about? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's no chance he knows. Don't even ask him. 29 and a half. 29 and a half? I think I still might take the under. This com- this coming weekend? Yeah. I think I, I They think can't I, make I, that line low were, enough for you. There were a couple last weekend that were, I think, 35, which was insanely low as it I'm was. Making the, I'm, I'm going to hammer the under. Sub, on 29 sub 30 for college football? 29 and a half. I mean, like teams in like there's 29 points in the first quarter of college football games. Yeah, that's, Virginia Tech almost put that up in the first half against Syracuse this week. That's outrageous. That is absolutely nuts. I think we can uh, officially declare our Adam Himmelsbach comes back on this show this year dead. We can we can officially that's done. You ever notice that Syracuse doesn't suck until we make that agreement, and then it's <laughs> the the season spot. Had the season even started when you made that agreement? Yeah, they were. They were how? How? Uh, what were, were they? Four and one. They were seven and zero. They were six and zero. Oh, okay. All right. Well, last, last year they were six and zero. We made the agreement. They managed to miss the bowl, I think. And then yeah. this year, four and one, and uh, and they've been getting shellacked. Oh my god! Like they're not. They're not even in games. They're not even showing up. Oh, it's. It's man. really. It's. It's unbelievable. But we're the bad luck guys. Got, got my hat. Hey, as long as the Celtics are perfect, stay perfect. That's yeah. right. Bruins should be perfect too. They oh yeah, I'm not kidding. The game the other day, but that's okay. That's you know you 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 literally can't win them all, and uh, you know they'll they'll just uh, you know Celtics are going to keep trying until they can't. Obviously, for Evan Valenti, for Seth Landman, I'm Adam Kaufman. Thank you so much for listening. Rate, review, subscribe to this podcast, and remember, if you said that we are your favorite, just know you are ours as well. We'll talk to you again next week.